reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning at the ninth verse. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting in the seat next to the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And Hannah was deeply distressed and was praying to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow, saying, O Lord of hosts, O Lord of hosts, if you will look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant and will give to your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying, Eli observed her mouth. She was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and there was no sound coming from her voice. And so Eli took her for a drunk woman and said to her, how long will you go on drunk? Put away your wine. And she said, oh no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have not had wine or strong drink. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not think of your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And Eli said to her, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the petition you have made. And she said, let your servant be seen with favor in your eyes. And she went away and she ate and her face was no longer sad. And early in the morning they rose and they worshiped the Lord and they returned to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, she conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Where does generosity come from? Where does generosity come from? The Third quarter giving statements in the letter went out this week. Oh, yes, it's that time of year again when pastors, both subtly and not so subtly, begin reminding their congregations of the need for generous giving to meet year-end goals. And yet, what's a joy is to pastor a congregation that knows what generosity is. And yet, we can always grow more in our generosity. It's like the preacher who arrives in his new church and that first Sunday he gets in the pulpit and he says, if I'm gonna be your pastor, this church is gonna walk. And the whole congregation says, amen, let her walk, brother, let her walk. And then he says, and if this church walks, it's gonna run. And again, the response let her run, brother, let her run. And he said, and if this church runs, it's going to fly. And they say, amen, let her fly, brother, let her fly. And he says, and if it's going to fly, this church is going to need a lot of money. And the response from the congregation, let her walk, brother, let her walk. <laughs> Martin Luther 
said that there were three conversions a person goes through. The first is a conversion of their heart, and the second is a conversion of their mind, and the third is a conversion of their pocketbook. In the series we're looking at over the next couple weeks, Generous Outcasts, we have an opportunity to look at three stories out of Scripture where we see those who are outcasts from their society, who consider themselves outcasts from the Lord and yet prove to be so incredibly generous. Hannah, Zacchaeus, and the woman with the alabaster jar. This week, Hannah. She gives her child to God. A generosity that is unmeasured. And her generosity emerges out of her experience with God. Her experience with the gospel. You see, Hannah begins our story here in 1 Samuel 1, barren. But she doesn't stay barren. You see, Hannah's story is that she goes from being barren to being blessed. But it's not enough that she was barren and now blessed. This story is of a woman who recognizes that she's blessed in order to bless others. Barren, blessed, and blesses others with her blessing. First, Hannah is barren. Verse 2 says that Elkanah had two wives, Penina and Hannah. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And we're told the Lord had closed her womb. In the ancient Near East, to be barren was to be considered worthless, to have no hope. It was considered a curse to not bear your own biological children. It was considered a punishment. It was considered to be a family's greatest misfortune because children secured your future. Now let me be clear, please. The Bible does not teach that barrenness is a curse. The Bible does not teach that. But this is the context of the societies that lived these stories. As Rachel tells Jacob so poignantly and so clearly in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. It's not an overstatement in this ancient Near Eastern culture. You see, Hannah experiences this sense of worthlessness and this sense of shame both externally and internally. Externally, it's Penina, the other wife, that keeps throwing it in her face. Look at verse 6 and 7. Her rival, Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. This external mockery is going on. But then, it's not just external, it's internal. Hannah feels that shamefulness. She feels that worthlessness inside herself. Look at verse 7 as it continues. Hannah, therefore, wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, 
Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? Now, gentlemen in the room, Elkanah is an example of what not to say when your wife is going through a hard piece. But the point is, if to be barren in this story is to be considered in your own heart and in the minds perhaps even of others as worthless, as without hope. If that's what barrenness really means in this context, then guess what? We have all experienced at times what Hannah experienced. We have all been in places in our lives when we feel worthless and we feel hopeless and we feel barren before the world. It's interesting, this week I heard from a parent of one of our students in student ministry. The student had found out that the next topic coming up in student ministry a few weeks from now is anxiety, depression, and self-harm. Speaking the gospel over anxiety, depression, and self-harm. And this student said to her father, that's awesome. I really need to invite some friends to that. This is the world that we live in. A world where we face down a sense of worthlessness and hopelessness each and every day. Hannah begins this story barren. And the gospel always begins in a place where we feel we don't deserve anything. And yet, she's blessed. She's blessed. Verse 19 says that Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, And the Lord remembered her, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. Now, it follows this strange story between Eli and Hannah, this moment outside the temple where Eli the priest is there. Hannah is pouring out her heart before God. Eli doesn't get it and thinks she's drunk. Now, interestingly, Eli, in a few chapters from now, chapter 3, will go blind Clearly, his blindness has already begun. A priest of God can't even recognize a woman at prayer. He thinks she's drunk. Well, she gives it right back to him and says, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring my soul out before God. And almost in a dismissing kind of way, he says, go in peace. The God of Israel grants your petition. It's almost a dismissive, well, just fine. Let God do whatever you're asking for him. And yet God is faithful. Even through this unfaithful priest, God is faithful to his promise, and she bears a son. Hannah is blessed. She's been barren, and now she's blessed. Now, every time I use that phrase, blessed, in in Texas, i got to say, as a Canadian, I'm still working through the full understandings of this because I, you know, I came down here and was so confused. It took us a while to understand this, this very important phrase, bless your heart. Because for the longest time I was down here, I heard all this, bless your heart, bless your heart, bless her heart, oh, bless his heart. And I thought, they're so kind, eh? They're so nice, eh? And then I saw a shirt in the airport that said, you bless my heart, I punch your face. And I realized (laughs) something needs to be translated here. But Hannah is blessed in a good way. She's blessed from the Lord, barren and now blessed. But look at how she considers her blessing. Look at how she understands her blessing. Verse 18 says, may your servant find favor in your eyes. 
And that word favor is the same word we saw back in Genesis chapter six with Noah, where it says that Noah found favor with God. Favor is the word grace. It's something that's unearned, unexpected. I mean, this is a barren woman here. She can't expect that she's going to be blessed with this. She feels worthless. She feels outcast. She asks for grace. Lord, show me what I know I do not deserve and I have not earned. And isn't it interesting that Hannah's name means grace? Hannah models this posture of grace. She's asking for blessing as grace, something unearned. But also it's interesting that she names her blessing when she receives the blessing. She gives the blessing, the child, a name. This isn't surprising, but listen to the name. Samuel. Now, in Hebrew, it's Shamuel or Shema'el, and there's two words there. It's two words in that name. El is God, but Shema is the word here. It's what you hear in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that a good Israelite would say every morning, the sort of foundational creed of Israel, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear. In other words, Samuel's name means God has heard me. Or more specifically, as verse 20 says, this is the one I asked of God. She names the blessing asked of God. She, right in the naming of the child, is saying, I will never forget that this child has come because I asked, that God gave this. I didn't earn it. I didn't make it happen. This one is asked of God. You know, in 2010, some of you know that I visited Christ Church for the first time. I had come down for an Anglican 1000 conference, but here is a story I've not yet told till this day in the sanctuary. You see, when I was at that Anglican 1000 conference in 2010, at one point I managed to get away from the crowd and came into the sanctuary all by myself. And I marveled at this place. I thought, I didn't know they grew Anglican churches this big. And I'm all alone, and so what did I do? I walked up here and I went around the back of the altar all by myself and I just stood there and I thought, Lord, what would it be like to celebrate at this altar? And then I walked over to the pulpit and I put my hands on the pulpit and I thought, Lord, what would it be like to preach at this pulpit? And in that moment, I was saying a prayer to God. I was saying, Lord, I don't know how even to ask this, but Lord, if you would bless me to to put me in such a place where I could preach in a pulpit such as this. And then I heard a voice right from over there and it was not the voice of God. It was Father David. (laughs) We didn't know each other. And all he said was, it's nice, isn't it? I was mortified. And I quickly made my exit and apologized and left. And yet, then to stand in this pulpit six years later and realize that somewhere in that moment, that had been a Hannah kind of moment. Oh Lord, if you would look with favor on your servant, as unworthy as I may be, Lord, if you would bless this. And the Lord brought about his blessing. 
unworthy as I am, and yet so blessed. This is Hannah's story. I mean, why of all the barren women was she given a child? Why of all the (laughs) priests was I given this blessing? Which leads really to the final point of the story. Not only is Hannah barren as we begin, but then is blessed. You see, Hannah then takes that blessing and uses it to bless others. She takes the blessing she's been given and uses it to bless others. See, this is the core of her prayer. Look at verse 11. How does she say it? She says, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Grant me this child and I will give him back. I'm asking for this blessing, but if you give me the blessing, I'm going to use it to bless others. That moment in verse 11 where she says, no razor shall touch his head. It means that he will be what Leviticus 6 calls a Nazarite. He'll be set apart. He'll be consecrated for the Lord's service. Just like Samson didn't have a razor touch his head. Consecrated, set apart for God's service. Do you hear the core of Hannah's prayer? Lord, I'm asking that you would bless me that I may bless others. The two go hand in hand, for this is the very basis of stewardship in the whole of Scripture. Genesis chapter 12, right at the beginning, here's Abraham, who God is entering into this new relationship with. And what does God say to Abram? He says, I will be your God and you'll be my people and I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. And then verse three, and through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, I give you this blessing, not just for you yourselves, but for the sake of the world. This is what the blessing is given for. Like Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, freely you have received, freely give. This is the core of what it means to be a biblical-minded steward. There was a parishioner last year after a stewardship sermon who told me this story with tears that he'd gone to his classroom the next day as a school teacher and that he said he always watched out to find those kids in the class who clearly had not eaten breakfast that day. You know, came out of homes where there was just not a guaranteed meal. And he said, I identified one child and so I made my way over to one of my students and I gave him some money and said, go to the cafeteria and get two chicken sandwiches in a bag and bring it back to me. And he did and he brought it back and he gave the bag. And then the teacher just quietly somewhere in the morning walked by her desk and just placed the bag with the two chicken sandwiches on. And what did the girl do? She opened up the bag, she saw two sandwiches and immediately asked, who else needs something because I want to share? Hannah once barren, now blessed, sees that she's blessed to bless others. This is the core of this story. And what's amazing is Hannah follows through with it. Isn't it it amazing? Verse 25 and 26, uh, we, we read these words that when it's all said and done, when the child is weaned, she brought the child to Eli And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence. 
praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. She's blessed in order to bless others. I mean, isn't it a great moment in the next chapter when it says in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, about the boy growing up now in the temple? This, this gift of what she's handed over to God. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed in a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it up to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Can you hear Hannah saying to Elkanah as they prepare for that yearly pilgrimage to Shiloh, saying, Elkanah, can you imagine how big he is this year? How big is he? How, how big do you think I should make the robe this year? Because he keeps growing bigger and bigger as a little priest in God's house. Do you see the scope and the size and the effect that Hannah's Samuel gift makes on Israel? I mean, this Samuel gift, her understanding, this is Samuel. This is what I asked of the Lord, and it's meant to be a blessing. This impact of giving this gift back, she gives the nation a leader. She gives the nation their prophet. That's the effect of her gift. But yours and my Samuel gift has no less impact on this world. And here's what I mean as I close. This is really cool. You see, this story prefigures another story. See, this story of Hannah is not just self-enclosed. It points to another story in Luke chapter 1. It's the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Let me show you what I mean. Hannah is barren. She's blessed with a son, miraculously, Samuel. He's a Nazarite which means he's set apart for service and his job is ultimately to prepare the way for the anointed one, the king of Israel, David. Elizabeth is barren. Elizabeth is blessed with a son supernaturally, John the Baptist, who is a Nazarite set apart for the Lord and his job is to prepare the way for the anointed one, this time for the true Messiah, the Son of God. Your Samuel gift, whatever it is that you've asked for from the Lord and he's given for the purpose of blessing others, it will do the same. Like Hannah, like Elizabeth, your Samuel gift will prepare the way for the Lord. All of the gifts we give into the house of God prepare the way of the Lord. Every gift we give, God will miraculously use to take what we celebrate here, the death and resurrection of the Son of God, the salvation moment offered to the whole world. This is what we be prepared in people's lives as we give our Samuel gifts. God does that every time. Now you may say, how does this work? I see this every day here. Every day I see this happen at Christ Church. I saw it this week. 
How, does it, how is it that the gifts we give, our Samuel gifts offered to the Lord can prepare the way of the Lord? Well, I got into my truck with my 12-year-old daughter this week after student ministry, another student ministry story. And I knew that in student ministry, what they've been looking at recently is how to share their stories, their Jesus stories. It's really an exercise in witnessing. And I just said to her offhanded, I said, so you've been learning about how to share your Jesus stories. And she didn't miss a beat. She said to me these words. She said, I was in an ambulance a number of years ago with an asthma attack. And in that moment, for the first time, I knew God was real because he was with me and he healed me. And that's my Jesus story. And I nearly crashed the car. My 12-year-old equipped to share her Jesus story eloquently, boldly. And as I drive up to Robinson and I see this beautiful picture of all these students gathering around her and others, and I think, here's my child now prepared to give her Jesus story in the midst of this world. This is how we can say that our Samuel gifts coming into the life of the church will prepare the way of the Lord for this generation and the next one to come. Where does generosity come from? Look to the Hannah story. We need to learn to name what we've been given the right name. Let's call it what it is. It's Samuel. It's asked of the Lord. Because if we name it correctly, if we identify those things and blessings and people we have and opportunities we have, if we call them by the right name, Samuel, we'll remember what they were given to us for, to bless. Are you holding on to your Samuel? Am I? Do you know what your Samuel will do in this world as you do with it what it's given for to be given in blessing. Like Hannah, like Elizabeth, our Samuel gifts will prepare the way of the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.